DiscerningHearts.com presents Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. Dr. Reno is the editor at First Things, a journal of religion, culture, and public life. He has also served as a professor of theology at Creighton University. His theological work has been published in many academic journals. Essays and opinion pieces on religion, public life, contemporary culture, and current events have appeared in Commentary and The Washington Post. He's also the author of numerous books, including Fighting the Noonday Devil. This series explores numerous facets of faith and reason in the life of the church and the world. Grounded on the work of giants such as St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, Blessed John Newman, Blessed John Paul II, G.K. Chesterton, Blaise Pascal, and Stephen Barr, Dr. Reno helps us to open our minds to make the journey to our hearts. Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Great. Welcome back, Professor. <laughs> Great to be here again, in whatever capacity I might be. <laughs> well, you are you are professor in helping us to understand Christian apologetics and the great uh, gift that we have in the teachings of John Henry Cardinal Newman. In our last segment, we talked much about his life and his place in life and times. And what we're going to look at now are the university sermons that have been compiled. And I think it's important, again, when you enter into reading and understanding this, is to understand, for me anyway, the beauty of an Anglican pulpit. I imagine Newman entering into this wonderful hall or worship sanctuary and going up into this great pulpit and then giving this teaching, which has such an intensity to what he has to say. I think part of his gift, and I think it's a gift of all good preachers, is a, um, is a sensitivity that allows them to answer the questions people actually have. When is this taking place in his life? Before his conversion to Catholicism? Yes. These are the Anglican sermons. He had them, uh, he, he endorsed or supported their republication, you know, in the 1860s. Uh, um, and so he didn't, he thinks, as he says in some advanced notes he wrote as a Catholic, that he wouldn't put things necessarily in the same way as a Catholic, mm-hmm. but that there's nothing he said that he didn't think he continues to endorse as a Catholic. How many sermons total in this particular collection? Oh, I think there are 15 of these, uh, of these university sermons. Uh, these are ones that are collected from special, special days, special um, university events, when it's kind of you know, more appropriate to address the sort of this kind of topic of the relation of faith and reason, which is pretty much the topic of all the sermons. Mm-hmm. How, how does the intellectual life fit with the life of faith? Kind of, these are the big, that's the big topic. Now, he's giving sermons all the time during regular um, worship services, but let's say that it's like a commencement mass mm-hmm. that you might have at Creighton, uh, and then you'd have a special sermon. He's doing these are the equivalent of that, those type situations. Uh, the English uh, university calendar is keyed to uh, the liturgical calendar, and so there's three semesters or or three three se- sessions of classes, and. Uh, and they're keyed to the liturgical calendar. One ends at Christmas, one ends at Easter, one ends at uh, Pentecost. 
Would you say that they're self-contained or that they're meant to lead to a further discussion or dissertation at another time? It's of the nature of these questions to be open-ended. Mm-hmm. And so even though readers can pick any one of these sermons up and read them in whole, I think, and get a lot out of them, his thought tends to evolve and develop over time. And so the sermons are over about a 10-year period, I think, all told although they're kind of concentrated towards the end of that time period of 1838 to 1841, I think. It's a kind of concentration of them. But there's some from the late 1820s as well in there. And so it's natural that he's going to come circle back, so to speak, and pick up the same idea and turn it over one more time. The nature of his mind, the way his mind worked. Uh, and I, I agree with him on this. Uh, all the imp- There are no final answers to the important questions. Um, there are final truths, but... For us, in terms of the way that we frame and ask these questions, we can't kind of, our minds can't come to rest uh, in any particular answer because it's always a deeper, more, uh, there's always another perspective to have. There's always a sort of deeper insight to be gained. Now, we would encourage the listener to go up and pick a copy up of the university sermons. You can even find them online, which is a great gift to all of us, and to read those. But for our purposes today, we're going to begin with Sermon 4. Right, the usurpations of reason. Um, In this sermon, I think the the question he's really asking is the question that um, my students, uh, I had as an undergraduate, my students have, and I'm sure obviously his his students had, and that is, is is faith anti-intellectual? You know, uh, is faith opposed to the intellectual life? Is it in some way in conflict with the intellectual life? Uh, or, or maybe just different and disconnected from the intellectual life, and I, I think that that's kind of a that's a very uh, perennial question um, for us. Um, and and uh, you know he he thinks that uh, um, you know there's reasons to think that it is. Um, I mean, one of the reasons is quite obvious reason, which is that we all know people of deep and profound faith and prayer who are not intellectually sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And that would suggest that faith and the intellectual life are, if not in conflict, they're not really closely related to each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> um, I think a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people don't think of that line of criticism. We saw it in, we saw it in, um, in St. Thomas when he quotes scripture about how, you know, we ought not to strive after the things of God with our, with our minds. You know, the scripture itself warns against the kind of pride mm-hmm. that comes from the intellect. Um, and also common experience shows that, that uh, there's no relationship between IQ and, and, uh, and depth of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an important kind of uh, question. But then there's obviously the, uh, um, the, the other side, the kind of cultural side of things that Newman's already experiencing which is that, um, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't, the, the, the scientific culture and so forth doesn't see religion as helping it. Um, I mean, sometimes it thinks religion is positively in the way, but even if we take the sort of best case scenarios, so to speak, uh, I think most scientists would say your faith is really not relevant to your scientific work. Um, and so we have two sides here. We have the pious side saying, your intellectual work's not relevant to your piety, and you have the intellectual side saying your pious works, so to speak, your works of prayer and, and your corporate works of mercy are not relevant to your intellectual life. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's a hard question to motivate, so to speak. You know what I mean? Right. I just keep going back to the, the that thought in my head of those saints who were considered not necessarily intellectual. They may not have had the types of, like St. Catherine of Siena, who was illiterate at a certain point, or even Teresa of Avila, but they were encouraged to cultivate that intellectual side of them by reading and trying to find ways of deepening Well, that's sense. what Newman is seeing, right? He says, well, the objections are, it doesn't seem like they're related. But then he says, well, but um, obviously the tradition testifies to the mutual enrichment of faith and reason. We've seen this all, all through some of our past sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Paul II, I think, gives powerful testimony in Fide et Ratio to the ways in which faith encourages reason and the way in which reason deepens faith. And obviously, Pope Benedict uh, has made this an important part of his pontificate, which is the the role of faith actually in in su- supporting a culture of reason, mm-hmm. uh, and his concerns that we um, that we are uh, our our culture of reason, the Western culture of reason, is under threat, both internally through kind of relativistic doubt and also externally through attack, you know, of those who want to use, you know, the threat of death and and uh, and, and war as a way of uh, coercing, coercing and getting what they want. Uh, so, I th- so I think that there's plenty of testimony. So what Newman does is every, this is a kind of what uh, students often get frustrated with, which is that, well, we've got to be more careful here. We need to make some distinctions. We need to do some careful analysis. In a certain sense, he wants to say, faith and reason are clearly antagonistic. That is to say, when reason does what it's not qualified to do, it obviously is in, when it encroaches upon faith's territory, it's, it's an antagonistic. And then conversely, when faith pretends to a certain kind of rational capacity that it does not have, it's antagonistic towards reason. So we can certainly get plenty of conflict between faith and reason. Again, we see this in our time. Uh, you know, I think creationism is a good example mm-hmm. of Faith, b- biblical interpretation, trying to do something it's not competent to do. You know, the to read the to read the book of Genesis as a template for the natural processes, I think, is mistaken. And that's a usurpation of faith to the place of reason. And then conversely, and this is where the sermon title comes from, reason can usurp its uh, the role of faith. So it's kind of worth looking at sort of the, some of the examples he gives. He gives some examples of how there can be a false intellectualism in faith and there can be false faith claims made by the intellect. Mm. Uh, and so that's so what he's doing for his listeners here is he's trying to say, before we even get down to the question of faith and reason, let's clear out some of the, some of the obvious problems. And the obvious problems of, uh, are when faith pretends to be something it isn't and when reason pretends to be something it isn't. We'll return in just a moment to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R.R. Reno. This is Chris McGregor. The work of discerning hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Please consider making a tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either discerninghearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. 
from the desire of being esteemed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected. Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. That others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. A teaching of St. Paul from his letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the holy ones who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him for the foundation of the world, to be holy and without blemish before him. In love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, in accord with the favor of his will, for the praise of the glory of his grace that he granted us in the Beloved. In Christ we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of transgressions, in accord with the riches of his grace that he has lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, in accord with his favor that he has set forth in him as a plan for the fullness of times, to sum up all things in Christ, in heaven and on earth. We now return to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. Again, it's fascinating to see that he's addressing issues that we still see today, even in that, that sense of the intellect and faith as far as the scientific, for example, where some would say that faith has nothing to do or religion shouldn't have nothing to do with decisions that are made in the scientific quest for greater understanding. And yet those of faith, because through a philosophical understanding and working out of that, have come up with some moral distinctions that it would try to say this is 
valid intrusion into that scientific endeavor. Is that part of the the conflict that comes about, do you think? For Newman, faith in you know the scientific world, I mean science is a good example of this. I mean, so he thinks that we can faith can misuse science and science can misuse faith, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh but there's obviously there's got to be some positive relationship between the two. So so faith has a moral competence you might say, but not a scientific competence. I don't go to a priest in order to get a prescription for my sickness. Mm-hmm. But I would go for to a priest for uh, advice about um, my moral sickness, say. How do I deal with sin, but not how do I deal with uh, an infection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's, what Newman wants to do is he wants to sort of see that. We can, that's a common sense of things we all feel, Right. Mm-hmm. And so when a scientist wants to sort of say, well, the real source of your moral troubles, and psychology can get this way, the real source of your moral problems is, I don't know, the way you were raised or something like that. I mean, that could be a contributing factor, but spiritually we know, we know that sin cannot be reduced to social environment or genetic factors. It has to do with the will. And mm-hmm. the will is not something that's predetermined. Um, so we know that there is an example of science usurping uh, the role of faith. And then conversely, right, you know, when the priest starts to, you know, say that your infection is caused by a demonic possession or something like that, then you begin to think, well, now, wait a minute. That's faith usurping the role of reason. Mm-hmm. So he really, he really wants to work with that. Now, he doesn't use all those examples per se, um, but they're, they track, I think, his his interests. He gives kind of two, um, two interesting uh, examples. Um, one is, he gives an example of a blind man giving a lecture on color, I think, mm-hmm. as I recall. And, uh, and what he means by that analogy is, um, a, a, like, let's say that a philosopher, secular philosopher says that the doctrine of the Trinity doesn't make any sense or can't make any sense or involves a contradiction. Uh, I think what Newman's saying is that we, we can't investigate or we cannot rationally assess or rationally engage uh, the truths of faith unless we have, I don't know, the kind of faith commitment that allows us to engage them at a more fundamental level. Uh, and that, so the person without faith who passes judgments on the teachings of the church are, is like someone who's trying to do science without going into the laboratory. Um, or, or like the blind man lecturing on color. I mean, sure, you can sort of learn the principles, but one has a sense that, that such a person doesn't really know what it is that they're talking about. And I often feel that way with kind of critics of, of Christianity. I mean, yeah, they come up with the Bible contradicts itself, you know? Well, duh, you know? Mm-hmm. Or the Gospel of John uh, puts Jesus' crucifixion on a different, uh, different relation to Passover than the Synoptic Gospels do. Well, yeah, but the fathers of the church saw that right off the bat, and they had uh, an interpretation and understanding of what that means, that difference means, in terms of uh, the spiritual significance of that difference. Um, so you you get kind of frustrated. You feel like, well, you know, you it would be like me trying to uh, sort of solve um, problems in physics, but not actually taking the time and energy to sort of devote myself to being socialized into the study of physics and really immerse myself in it. Mm-hmm. So that's one side of the usurpation of reason. The other side of the, uh, that's one usurpation of reason. That's reason's attempt to sort of just 
if you will, storm the capital of faith and, mm-hmm. you know, take the take possession and saying, well, you know, you sloppy thinking people, I'm going to think for you clearly, finally, for the first time. Mm-hmm. But there's another usurpation of reason that he's concerned about, and that involves, and as it bears on our series, it's the fantasy of faith that it can reason its way to the mysteries of God. Um, or it's the fantasy of faith that it can argue its way uh, to, um, it can argue others to conversion. Um, I think one of the most uh, famous uh, quotes of Newman uh, is from this sermon. And he writes, it is, absur- it is as absurd to argue men as to torture them into believing. The will, he thinks that faith is a function of the will, and the will cannot be swayed by argument alone. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think arguments are relevant, but not by argument alone. Uh, the, the will has its own principles. Uh, the human heart has its own principles. And that um, uh, you, you can't argue people to, to faith. You can, and we saw that already in St. Thomas. He recognized that if people won't grant you assumptions, then you can't use reason to argue with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Newman has this intuition about sort of the deep level of our commitments are very deep, deeper than the arguments that we make. We typically defend our views on the basis of arguments rather than changing our views on the basis of arguments. Mm. <laughs> we have all experienced that. <laughs> so, but he, he's worried about, about theology. He's worried that if we overinvest in the power of arguments, then we will, we'll, we, will, uh, we will misguide others and ourselves. And we'll misguide them by trying to convince them that the essence or the sort of the deep source of faith is somehow reason. Um, mm-hmm. So if you, I think this is a kind of warning to listeners, not to not make apologetic arguments. Of course you should with your friends and, and uh, if only to deepen your own understanding of your faith. But it's a kind of a warning. You, at some point you have to acknowledge the limits of reason in this regard. I love the, the phrase in all of this that he points us to is that faith uses reason to untangle subtle errors, webs. It, it can help us in our faith to be able to draw clear, but it's, it's more of a tool. Am I correct in that? Reason removes impediments, typically, rather than initiating movement itself. Um, he says elsewhere, when he talks about, uh, uh, in his other sermon, I think that's really relevant to this, is uh, sermon number 10, Faith and Reason Contrasted as Habits of Mind. He says reason is critical, but not creative. Mm-hmm. Reason removes impediments, but doesn't create movement. Um, it judges, he says, but does not originate. It offers analysis, but it does not offer motives. So, and what he's driving at there is like, Obviously, there's impediments, or if we are in a fog and we want to go somewhere, be able to clear the fog away is a great blessing because we'll actually get to our destination. And reason can do that. But reason cannot give us the destination. Reason can't get us out the door and make us want to take the journey. Uh, that's coming from other sources, that motive, that impulse. But typically uses words like conscience. They're not words so much that we use anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our time, we might use heart language rather than 
rather than conscience language. Um, or, or, or if you're, uh, for a religious person, people would talk about a sense that God is calling them to do certain things. Uh, and that, that's reflecting this fact that, you know, at the, at the bottom line is you cannot, you're not using your reason to figure out what God's calling you to do. You're using your figure. You're using your reason to figure out how to do what God's calling you to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so much that we can garner from John Henry Carnell Newman. I just wish we had more time, Professor Reno. Any final thoughts? I want to just kind of throw this out because it fits with with what um, we've been talking about. But it's a, it's a it's another way of putting it. Newman writes. Well, it's hard to quote sometimes. But it says, "Faith by which we know divine things." rests on evidence of testimony, weak in proportion to the excellence of the blessing attested. Or elsewhere, according as objects are great, the mode of attaining them is extraordinary. In other words, the more important something is, the harder it is to actually use our reason to come to a conclusive decision about it. Who you're going to marry, you cannot solve as an equation. Right. Uh, You know, what you you know what you're what you're supposed to say or do uh, with your life is not something that you can calculate, um, and it's and it's a painful painful experience for people who are intellectually talented to realize that their intellectual gifts are not going to answer for them the most important questions. So I think you know it's a, uh-huh. a testimony to the humility of Newman. I think that he that he recognized that. I think that's so true. I know several people who are extraordinary intellects. I've never seen two people struggle and suffer so much with every decision they make, especially on life issues. Yes, You would ask them just to have some faith and to trust, and boy, that's a tough one. That's a tough one for them. This isn't a counsel to just sort of go willy-nilly through life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Newman recognized this is all the more reason to choose your teachers carefully because mm-hmm. you're going to be influenced by by their personalities, uh, you, and choose your friends carefully, and choose your choose your mentors carefully, um, and uh, you know, because you can actually you can train yourself, if you will, to to discern, um, and and not, and you can make stupid mistakes in those big questions, uh, just like you can make stupid mistakes in you know um, solving problems in uh, in in, uh, in algebra. You know, so, uh, and, but it, the techniques are different. The techniques are much more interpersonal with respect to these deep questions and they're less so with respect to these kind of mathematical questions. Thank you very much, Professor Reno. Welcome. You've been listening to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R.R. Reno. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Christian Apologetics with Dr. R.R. Reno.